We have seen history in the making here this afternoon in Nashville. For the sixth time, I want to present, ladies and gentlemen, number six, the heavyweight champion of the world, nature boy, Ric Flair. I think also we have to give credit where credit is due. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Ric Flair both competed in one of the, the greatest matches that any of us, I think, have ever witnessed. Champ, congratulations. Thank you very much. Not in character for Ric Flair, but Rick Steamboat is the greatest champion I've ever faced. And I'm proud to be here for a sixth time. Uh, hey, hey, Rick, I want to be the first to congratulate you on being the new world's champion. Terry, thank you very much. We do appreciate the judges being here. Hey, Rick, I also want to say that if it would have gone 60 minutes that I would have liked to have, uh, I would have voted for Ric Flair because I think that you're the greatest wrestler in the world today. Very nice. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Terry. You know, champ, it went past 35, 40 minutes. It was nip and tuck both. You know, I would, I would also like to go ahead, and I'd also like to go ahead and, and be the first one to challenge Ric Flair to that new championship. Well, Terry, uh, I'm honored that you'd like to get in the picture, but as the wrestling fans know, you've been an actor, you've been in Hollywood, Sylvester Stallone, while I've been being the world champion. And we got a top 10. We got a top 10 that the world champion is obligated to wrestle. And that's why we are number one. Wait a minute. Are you, are you really saying that uh, I'm not a contender? No, what I'm saying, Terry, is that you are a great wrestler, but right now you're rubbing shoulders with Sylvester Stallone and not the no, world champion. No, 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 no. I was just asking, do you think it, uh, you're I'm not good enough. You're saying that I'm not good enough, no, aren't you, Rick? I'm not saying that at all, Terry. Yes, you are. If you want me to look you in the eye and tell you that I got a problem with wrestling a guy that's been out in Hollywood for five years, it's the bottom line, but I'm looking at the top ten, and you're no. not in the top ten. No, Rick, Rick, Rick. Let me conclude this by saying thank you. I'm honored, everybody. Win, lose, or draw, Rick Flair. Rick, please, please let me just say one more thing. I was, I was just kidding you about going ahead and, and, and wanting to challenge you. I didn't want to really challenge you. I was just kidding you. So, Ed Gummit, let's go ahead. Let's be, yeah. Thanks, Doug. Hey! attacking nature boy Ric Flair. This is totally uncalled for. He's taking him outside the rail. Champion had already wrestled a match and had already won. He's attacked like this. A sneak attack by far. He just slammed him face first into the, the table that the judges were using. Flair has just wrestled almost 40 minutes. He's fatigued. And look at Funk slap him in the face. This was Flair's moment.
Thank you very much, Jim. Yes, six times world heavyweight champion Ric Flair is with me now. Only two other men in the history of the sport have accomplished that. That, of course, Luthez and Harley Race. But, Rick, the question on my mind and on thousands of fans' mind is, why are you returning when you know perfectly well another injury to that axis vertebrae and you could be uh, severely injured for life? Gordon, I've heard that question a thousand times, but I've heard it once. I'm returning because <clears throat> I only know one thing in this life. Next question, listen, this has been my life. It's the greatest sport in the world. And the only way I'm going to take another step forward in whatever I do in life is to walk out in that ring tonight and find out just what my future is. Terry Funk obviously is going to be centering his attack on your upper body. Well, he'd be a fool if he didn't. I know what I'm getting myself into, but I think Terry Funk at the same time, in all fairness to Ric Flair, knows what he's in for. If I am 100%, if I am 120% like I feel I am, Terry Funk will have the fight of his wrestling career on his hands in a few moments. Terry Funk knows what he did to me. He knows he did not do it on a man-to-man -man basis. He did it when my back was turned. He inflicted an injury on me that almost ended my career, and now he knows that right here in Baltimore, Maryland, in front of the whole world, he has to do it again, or he has to suffer the consequences. Look, let me ask you this. You haven't even had a warm-up match. Uh, I know that you've been working out intensively, but you haven't even had a warm-up match. Do you think your timing could be off? Could, could this be a problem? Well, I've heard that question a thousand times, too. I don't think my time will be off. I, uh, I didn't think, and I, I was asked to wrestle several times on television, I didn't think that I needed a match with anybody but a main event caliber wrestler. And uh, I wanted to find out firsthand, I guess it was my own ego, I wanted to think that I was ready. I didn't think I needed a warm-up match. And we'll find out. Maybe, maybe uh, I didn't think this out thoroughly enough. But I feel that I'm ready for Terry Funk. I feel I'm ready to be the world's heavyweight champion. And tonight, I'm going to prove it one way or another. I know, of course, I, I won't get an honest answer on this because you're going to tell me you are 100%. In my mind and in my heart, I'm 120%. If I'm not, we'll know in about an hour. That's the bottom line. Champion, good luck to you, my friend. Gordon, thank you. Thank you very much. Ric Flair, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, getting set to defend that title against the former champion, Terry Funk. And now, Jim Ross and Bob Caudill. This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the professor, Chao Bello Veracruz. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen. Yeah. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the time machine. The American Dream! Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. But be the man. You gotta beat the man. Woo! Look at this.
Reflectionites. What is going on there, Big Vito Whites on the Big Vito brand? What is going on to the Vito Whites on the Twitch, on the Patreons? What's going on to the IWC, YWC out there in the Patreon, oh, not the Patreon, in on the popping world, on the, on the computers, everywhere in between. You are here. You are listening to the PWR podcast here at the PWR Networks at Podbeam.com. And you know what? Before I do my spiel, before I even introduce myself, I got to do a little bit of a rant here because, you know, the PWR podcast should have gotten some kind of credit. The professor should have got some kind of credit. TW should have got some credit. You know, a couple of months ago, the PWR podcast, I don't want to, you know, pat myself on the back like Barry Horowitz, but I have to here because the PWR podcast do these things called the wrestling spotlight. And one particular spotlight we did was to commemorate Black History Month. A spotlight we did celebrating the career of Booker T and Stevie Ray, respectively known as Harlem Heat. And and I find out through the grapevine, I find out via Twitter, I find out via, you know, TV guides, Reflectionites, that Annie is doing a series. A biography series and last week they did one on Booker T and you know the professor is very uh, curious he wants to see how the competitions do it and wouldn't you know Reflectionites that Annie copied the PWR wrestling spotlight they took everything that the professor talked about they took everything that TW talked about there was two things that Annie did not want to broadcast so this is why A&E gets a flat F for the biography of Booker T. First of all, first and foremost, you must recognize A&E, and I'm pu- putting you on blast, that there was a certain time in WCW when they were being introduced that they were introduced in chains. Who talked about that? Well, it was me and it was TW talking about that here on the PWSL Networks at Poppy.com. And A&E... You slipping, I mean, for a Booker T biography about a man overcoming all the odds. Why didn't you talk about when he got buried by Triple H during his reign of terror from 2002 to 2004 at WrestleMania when Triple H was using all those racist slurs? But, you know, I'm, that's not he, neither here nor there. I just wanted to rant a little bit, Reflectionites, before we get into our, you know, segment here, our show here, what we do best here at the PWR Podcast, and that is the Greatest Rivalries Edition. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, since I'm a little bit calmer, I'm a little bit more even-keeled, I must introduce myself. I am the magnanimous one. I am the scholarly one. But most importantly, I am the glass one, the only objective man here in the IWC, YWC, and the only man that will give you as much information as humanly possible, Annie, the Professor Chabel the Cruz, and I'm not here alone, and I'm not here ranting alone because my partner in crime, my Bob Mackey, my Gorilla Monsoon, my Lord Alfred Hayes, he's got issues, he's got issues with some other people. And he is your friend of mine. He is the idiot of the Dum Dum Duels. The Iron Stomach One. He really wishes his his stomach was iron right now for for some food in him. He is your friend of mine, Mr. Wonderful Tommy Strong, aka Tommy Wonder. The floor is yours, my friend. Ranch away. I know you you're fuming. I can see it through your eyes. I'm hangry, is what I am. I spent the last hour waiting for Grubhub 
to bring food to me. I put, I made you wait an extra 10 minutes. And what do they do? For the second time, I ordered something an hour ago. And they text me an hour later, sorry, we were unable to fulfill your order. We canceled it and gave you your money back. And then on top of it, told me that my money won't be back for five more days. Five more wow. days. It's actually back already. It said within five days. Otherwise, I was going to find somebody in Grubhub, India. But on top of that, you see this orange shirt? This yeah, orange I see it. Shirt, first time I'm wearing it, right? Arms look great in it, right? Mm -hmm. Body look like Taz. Like uh, <laughs> but uh, so, so this shirt's XL. I bought it. I wore it today because the shirt that I was wearing finally came in the mail today. I bought a five-pack of these dry fits, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently they're XLs for people in China because I almost had the Hulk Hogan that shirt off because I'm like, there's no way I'm going on camera with this thing choking me out like this, looking like my hangry ass is wearing a sausage casing on top of it, but it's supposedly also XL and it's not. So the people who make clothing, they need to get together and they need to have a universal XL, a universal L, a M mm -hmm. for you, a medium, and then another S. They should have it. And everyone should have the same size, so when I order an XL, that's what I get. But no, no, not my kids. Wait, wait, wait. First and foremost, for all the ladies, I'm a magnum. Whatever <laughs> I wear is a magnum. That's my size. But go ahead, TW, go ahead. <laughs> We're talking about shirts, not your <laughs> butt plugs. But anyways. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, mm -hmm. we're on Twitch so they could see the look on his face right there. Like, you said you weren't going to tell people, but I did. And I'm sorry mm -hmm. for that. But I'm angry, so I have an excuse. But, okay. uh, but the funny thing about the A&E stuff that you talk about, I think they're on the third one, maybe the fourth one. They've done Piper, it, Macho it, Man, oh, and Austin, and now Booker T. Yeah. Um, Booker T is probably the one that I was most interested in seeing. No offense to the other three, but I've seen a million on those guys. And mm -hmm. really other than you and I, who really ever gives Booker T his credit. So that's the one I was looking most forward to. But however, I'm not going to lie to you. I got a little bit of the ADD. I don't know how you get two hours of me on this damn show sometimes. But w once I saw they were two hours, that's to me two hours. The only only thing that's overtime. Four hours of the Snyder Cut, which everyone says is good, and it's not. I don't don't. If you haven't spent four hours watching the Professor, or worse, you thought it was good or better. Apparently, mm -hmm. it's better because they drop f bombs in this one. Ooh, that makes it so much better. Let's see. Let's make a movie after a comic book for kids, and let's have f bombs after f bombs in it to make it cool. No, that movie's terrible. We will, we will agree to disagree on that one. But go I ahead. I knew it. I knew it. First mm -hmm. of all, and then I finally finished Wonder Woman, the first one, not 1984, the first one. Which the mm -hmm. first half of that movie, because it's another two and a half hour marathon. I watched the first hour probably two years ago, and I thought. Oh, finally, they made a good one. Yeah. The other night when I tapped out halfway through the Snyder Millennium Cut or whatever the heck, Millennial Cut, uh, basically, I watched the rest of the Wonder Woman one thinking, I, I have to clean my eyes of this Snyder Cut nonsense. I'm going to go back and finish the other two. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe they go home strong in the second one. I don't know. All I know you, is... You know what, T.W.? Wait, wait, wait. You know. I, I know the you're being the Roger Ebert here, but I get that. I understand that. But you know what sometimes you do, and you, you always tell me this, you you always take the NyQuils. So when you're watching these movies and you have a NyQuil in you, it's not gonna, it's not a good combination. Unfortunately, I watched these in the daytime, and I wish I would have took NyQuil. I had to shut it off. Mm. But the reason I digress like that is because the Booker T one's the one I want to watch. I need to sit down and have two hours. And what 
what is the one thing you can add to a two-hour uh, showtime to make me absolutely ADD the hell out of it? Knee pads? Commercials. Oh. Commercials. So it's two hours with commercials. I need to find me a bootleg Professor Link sent to me where it's only an hour and 35 minutes and the 25 minutes commercials have been edited the, out. The, the only thing. I'm going to tie commercials to modern wrestling. Okay. I would much rather AEW, because I've watched that nonsense, NXT, Raw, SmackDown. I haven't watched either one of them in a while. I mm-hmm. would, would much rather them flat out go to a commercial to do the split screen with the commercial and the wrestling still be on it with no sound. I absolutely hate it. It's terrible. I cannot believe that they do it during main events. It used to be they only did it during like a nothing match, which is the equivalent of what used to be before that was they just talked they're, about other They're people. desperate, but they're, they're desperate to try to keep the audience, you know, engaged, and they're that, doing the wrong the, thing. So space your commercials in between matches. It ain't the, hard. The, the problem is they, they put... And the what you might call the wrestling match on the on the on the smaller picture, so it doesn't work. They have to reverse it and make the match bigger and the commercial smaller, but they don't want to well, do that. But so. then the commercial place will complain about it. What they right. should do is, at the very least, Professor, at the very least, the main mm-hmm. event should be commercial free. That there used to be a time when that was the case. Um, but I, then I that, that means the wrestling pays for that, so they don't want to pay. They don't want to pony up the money. No, no. You just put a little bit more commercials on throughout the other hour and a half before that last but, half hour. Well, they did we, it before. I know, but we don't want to go into camera. By the way, all I see is Roman Reigns. Yeah, that's that's okay. Roman Reigns is still the man. But anyway, acknowledge Roman Reigns, the head of the table. But anyway, neither here nor there. I'm good. I'm on my screen. I'm recording this, so everything's all hunky-dory here on the PWR Podcast, and we are doing Greatest Rivalries here. It's been a while since we've done a Greatest Rivalries, TW, so, you know, like I said last week, you know, when we started our Greatest Rivalries run, we always, you know, we started with Steamboat and Flair, and we talked about that trilogy, that great wrestling year for the NWA or WCW, whatever you want to call it, 1989. And it was apropos when I was thinking, you know, to do a greatest rivalries, let's keep going with the motions of 1989 TW and continue where, you know, one epic rivalry ended and another epic rivalry started. So we're going to talk about here for this greatest rivalries edition, Reflectionites and big Vitoites out there. We're going to talk about Ric Flair versus Terry Funk TW. And before we even get into the logistics and, and the chronology here. You know, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago, Reflectionites, you know, and if you didn't listen to it, you know, go back into the archives of the PWS Network at Podbeam.com. We did an episode, TW, if you remember, that we talked about, you know, that wrestling organization that Dusty Rose kind of ran in 1989 when he was booted out of WCW in early 89. That was the pro wrestling from Florida and all that stuff. And we learned that. You know, Terry Funk was there battling Dusty Rhodes. Terry Funk was there battling Dustin Rhodes in, you know, Florida, and we were not privy to see that. So when Terry Funk was in NWA country or on TBS, if you will, you know, the first kind of appearances that Terry Funk made in early 89 was as a guest commentator and as a guest judge. So, you know, 
for the for layman's terms and you know for the casual maybe you know nwa fan and for the professor i actually thought before everything here keeping it kayfabe tw you know because we didn't have i didn't have dave Meltzer, you know just spill the beans i didn't have brian alvarez spilling the beans i thought he was retired Right. You know, you, you're a wrestler in a suit. You you want to be a commentator. You know, you think you, to yourself, you know, okay, well, Terry Funk, you know, I kind of can accept him as a as a play-by-play. I can think about that Jesse Ventura. He has that Texas twang in him. What's say TW before we even get into the chronology of what Terry Funk went through in 1989? Because we didn't see the Florida stuff. We weren't privy to that. What say you? I, I like that you pointed out something that I was going to point out, whether you did or not, and that... <clears throat> This this particular, like, I want to say they brought him back as the judge. Like, he ended up doing commentating after that, after the, the rival we were going to cover. But mm-hmm. but in the beginning, that was his return, was as a judge. He wasn't doing commentating unless he did, like, some spot ones here, like promoting the fact that he, I think Vern Gagne was another judge. Um, and I can't remember who. No, it was, uh, it was Pat O'Connor and okay. Luthez. Okay, so old dudes, but uh, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was Vern, but but like those Slammiversaries or whatever, not Slammiversary, that's that's TNA. Is that TNA? Slamboree, but they didn't do that Slamboree in 1989. They didn't guys. do that in 89. No, 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 I'm saying they would bring guys like that around, so that's why I'm probably confusing okay. when Vern was there. But anyhow, um, for, for me, two things. One, Terry Funk watching these things to just get up to speed, you know, because 89 is a long time ago. Um Two things I took away from it. One, absolutely hook, line, and sinker bought all of it, right? Because mm-hmm. there were no rag sheet. Well, there was a rag sheet, but I was too young to know what the hell that was, right? And mm-hmm. the closest to a rag sheet was the Phantom, which was a column in the wrestler that was supposedly a wrestler in the locker room who was spilling the beans, right? Which it was still kayfabe stuff. It wasn't, like, expose. Mm-hmm. Um, but if a guy signed with a company... Like like Big Show, for example, he just signed, and everyone's argument is, oh, but he's doing TV commentating, right? Like defending it or whatever. But he can still have some good matches, blah, blah, blah. Not that they gave a shit if he wrestled on Raw, but mm-hmm. now all of a sudden they give a shit. But I digress. But, but my point is, A, Terry Funk was an older guy in 89 to us, right? Right. B, he's in a suit, he's there. Um, and, and I'll get back to the other stuff that I bought hook, line, and sinker after. But the other thing that is, is, okay. So now that you and I, 89 by 89, 90, you and I are getting a little bit more familiar with NWA, WCW stuff, UWF, we knew, whatever, because not just magazines anymore. We actually got cable now, you and I, right? Not together mm-hmm. to confuse any of the uh, Reflectionites. But but by 1990, when a Dusty Rhodes goes to the WWF or when a, when a uh, Ronnie Garvin goes to the WWF, when Luger finally goes there and everyone goes there and now guys are going back and forth, that's all by that point 90 on you and i know who these guys are right mm-hmm. terry funk is a perfect example of someone being repackaged for the wwf uh that someone else might have no clue who the hell he is so my very first memories of terry funk which by the way he scared the hell out of me was him in that branding iron with those assless chaps and uh i think jimmy hart was his manager mm-hmm. um I was scared of that dude, right? But I had no idea 
the accolades this guy had that, you know, they, they mentioned it during one of the matches we're going to cover. Dory and Terry are the only brothers to ever be NWA World Heavyweight Champions, which I thought the Briscoes were, but apparently only one of them won it. So um, the, the, the fact, what I'm pointing out is when they repackaged him, to see him in NWA like we're seeing him tonight, it's a different guy. Like, the character in the WWF is different. He's still Terry mm-hmm. Funk. He's still from Double Cross. But I actually think because I knew who he was from WWF, it made me, A, familiar with him, but, B, it made me already not like him because he was always a heel there, right? So mm-hmm. built-in magic for him because I want to say when he was NWA World Champion, he was a face. He was a young, you know, greenhorn with no mustache, no nothing. But I, I, I would say more of a tweener. He goes right. back and forth. It and depends on who he's. More competitive, so good yeah. guys fought good guys and bad guys fought bad yeah. guys. But and he was from the Double Cross Ranch, but um, mm-hmm. which was a double entendre. You know, he double crossed you, but also two crosses on their horse. But uh, but I I would say that 1989 Terry Terry Funk being there, his WWF time behind them but existing is a perfect storm for an almost um 16 year old um kid like me to just be all in for it right Mm -hmm. like and when we get to talk about the rivalry i'm just gonna tell you like how i how it made me feel because this is one of the ones where i legit remember how everything made me feel because there's also another confusing part of it flair's Mm -hmm. a heel and all of a sudden, he's a baby face, right? We'll, very, we'll get we'll get into the logistics, yeah, right? We'll we'll, we'll get into the logistics, but I want to I want to actually expound on the point you just said because you so, you remember him from like '86 in the WWF with him and Dory Funk, but he was called Haas Funk. It was the Funk Brothers as a tag team. You know, he was crazy. He beat up well, the he was black. There by himself first, and then they added Haas, yeah. and they added Jimmy Jack, which was. Yeah. Uh, Art Bar or Sandy Bar or whatever, which one of them fucking. Bars. I forget, but it was the bar. It, it was, but it was all the funks with Jimmy Hart, and then you know the best thing I remember in in WWF lore, he beat up the black uh, ring attendant, and I can go on YouTube and you can break, you can find that on YouTube Reflection Nights. It's a funny ass thing. The black ring attendant put on the cowboy hat. Funk saw red. It was like a bull seeing a red a scarf on, and he attacked him and took him out. And the funny thing is the the timeline there, and then you know he kind of gets away from WWF. Maybe the contract went, you know, expired. They didn't renew him. Then he goes to Hollywood. He goes to Hollywood, and he does some things with Sylvester Stallone. He does over the top. He does some. He does a movie with Patrick Swayze, Roadhouse. So you know. And, and again, the, the kayfabe is right there, T.W., just like you said. Now he comes back in 89. Again, I don't know what's going on in Florida where he is wrestling. He's in the best shape of his life. He's wrestling, like, you know, every week there. We see that, but on NWA, and, you know, I'm I'm a virgin to the cable TV experience, and all I got is TBS. I see him in a suit. He's doing commentary with Jim Ross. I'm, I'm assuming he's retired. So the... So he's already he did Clash of Champions. He did commentary with uh, Jim Ross in Clash of Champions Five, where he was watching and scouting. You could, if you will, T.W. Flair and Steamboat in that two out of three false match. So you know whether you want to grade his uh, commentary skills, it's not even here nor there. But I just want to get, I just want to lay the groundwork here, which we both did. Now let's get into the rivalry here. It co- it begins at WrestleWar '89. 
May of 89, you know, May is the best month out of the year because that's my birthday month. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it's it's the trilogy ending to Steamboat and Flair. And it is, and Terry Funk's uh, assignment in this particular match is he's the judge along with Luthez and Pat O'Connor. Long story short, Reflectionites, 40 minutes, you know, of blood, sweat, and tears, and Ric Flair becomes the NWA heavyweight champion of the world for the sixth time. Now, TW, in this match, like you said, he comes in as a heel. He leaves out of this match winning the belt as a face. He gets he gains the respect of Ricky Steamboat. But that crowd in Nashville, Tennessee was ready and, you know, they were ready for, for a title change. They wanted Flair to win. You could tell that the crowd was hot for Flair and not What's the Steamboat. That? What was that? What city was that? Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. So they that, turned, that, oh. yeah, they turned on Steamboat. You could tell that the crowd wanted Flair to be the champion. I think they were they they really was pissed off at Steamboat Steamboat's wife Bonnie. They were they didn't want to see that kid. They wanted to see the kid fall off the horse or the pony, whatever <laughs> that was. So long story short, Flair wins, regains the title, and then you know Jim Ross is in the ring, TW, and who comes peeking up in the pack in the background? But good old Terry Funk. And now the funny thing here, T.W., if you want to explain it, the way you're looking at this, you know, from what we saw with his appearances, his television appearances, he was very low keyed. He was very even keeled, you know, very mild mannered, you could say. But then when he gets in that ring, he, he you know, you can see that personality starting to change. He's asking for a heavyweight championship match. He's asking, you know, you know, he's giving Flair all his props, but Flair says something that triggers him. It's almost like the black ring attendant. You know, he now Flair is wearing the cowboy hat and 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 Funk sees red, TW. So what say you when you remember that, you know, that moment that the rivalry starts, you know, Terry Funk was nice to ask for a title match, but Flair's response was a little bit sarcastic, but truthful. He hasn't wrestled in the NWA for years, so he's not in the top 10. So what say you, TW? Go ahead. So if I remember correctly, and this is 48, 47, almost 48 years of drug-free living right here, boys and girls. A, I'm still mad that Steamboat lost because I'm not one of the Nashville fans, right? Okay. Steamboat's my guy. He's right. I'm looking right at him right in front of me. So... I'm not happy that that he lost, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm going to talk about some other stuff after as well because because I'm going to tell you inevitably what this flare thing did for me in my eyes, and I think I don't know that people would look at it the same way back in '89, but just looking at it, you know, through the reverse lens. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Steamboat, reverse people. <laughs> so Steamboat's the face, Flair's the heel, right? Mm-hmm. Flair. Go back to the other five title reigns, other than there was one baby face one where I think he beat Harley. But he cheats to beat everybody, right? He either does not win because he gets disqualified, or he cheats to beat everybody. And so for Steemo to win the belt, awesome. To him to lose it, and then he loses it in two out of three falls. No, he won the two out of three falls. The second one was a double pin, so he didn't Mm -hmm. lose it. Um, so now Flair has beaten him, tied him, and then beats him clean to win the belt. And he probably won it with a small package or something. I can't remember exactly how he beat him. He didn't beat him with the figure four at the very least, which, which uh-uh. you, you might as well just cut 
uh, steamboat after losing by the tap out. But end of the day, now all of a sudden Flair's winning matches and he's winning them against Steamboat. And then, you know what I mean? So it's all of a sudden, hold up. This guy's been cheating for years to win the belt, to keep the belt. And now all of a sudden he's just running through people. I didn't like it, right? Plus, he's a heel steal in my mind. And when Terry Funk got in the ring, I remember as a kid thinking, oh, that's cool of him to congratulate him. And then when he kept interrupting him, I remember going, dude, let him talk, which was perfect. That's what I mean by I bought it all, right? Right. But there's a moment where Flair is really being the one who's the asshole because Funk is sarcastically doing stuff, but you don't realize that, right? You don't Mm -hmm. know that he's setting up to ask for a title shot. So then when he asks for the title shot and he tells him, and the very first thing Flair says is, oh, no, you know, I respect you, you're good, but you've been in Hollywood for five years and we got a top ten. That was cool. But then Flair's reaction was not, right? It was Mm -hmm. cocky. So really... He justified Terry Funk punching him, and to me, Terry's the baby face. He's mm-hmm. not, but he right. is in that moment because Flair became cocky Flair and said, listen, pal, if you're asking me if I got a problem defending this belt against someone that's been hanging out in Hollywood for five years, like he went next level with it. He should have said, hey, you got to get in line. And this is almost a good example of why they have scripts nowadays because it turned into something else for me at 15 years old. Because this is February, so I'm not even 16 yet. I'm 15. Um, and I, I just remember thinking, hey, man, let him talk. This is his moment, even though he beat my guy. And then mm-hmm. Terry Funk laid him out, and I thought, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, that's not how it was presented on WCW Saturday night. So, But, it was, but, you, got, but you got two guys. Well, you know, if, you, if they were scripted, I don't think it would be great. It would have been as great as it was when both of them no, can no, add it. And it worked in the moment because in the right. moment, I bought it for what it was, and let's be mm-hmm. honest, Flair wasn't a baby face for long. So, mm-hmm. so the like- so the sucker punch heard around the world happens. Ric Flair is tired, he's exhausted, he's selling that, so we get that part. And then Terry Funk takes him outside on the floor where the uh, the judges table was, and he spike pile drives him. And you know, I'm 12 years old here. And you, you're right, I'm getting a little bit of wind in the business. But the camera shot and the re- instant replay, if you ever saw the Wrestle War pay-per-view Reflectionites, they went back to this replay about three times, if I'm not mistaken, and they showed where his neck got jammed. So to me, when I see this at 12 years old, I'm like, oh, damn, Flair is fucked up. <laughs> I mean, damn. You know, that table, first of all, the table didn't give. It didn't, you know, crack it. It wasn't the uh, the table where you cut it in, in, in the middle. So this way it's a prop table. It didn't look like a prop table, TW. It wasn't so a gimmick. It wasn't a gimmick table, TW. So what say you about the pile driver? Were you sold on that? I mean, to me, that was, I thought Flair, you know, he won his sixth title match, his t- sixth title reign. But I was like, yo, he's not going to keep that title. He's done. What say you? In the moment? In the moment. I thought he was dead because immediately, what do you think of, ironically, who, who just lost? Immediately you think DDT on the concrete by Jake the Snake to Ricky Steamboat. He's mm-hmm. out. He's done. He's gone. Right. Um, also, you think Ricky Steamboat, Macho Man coming off the top rope with the bell to his throat. He's done. He's done. But two things I noticed as an adult watching it. One, mm-hmm. this is going to be weird. Uh, every time Terry Funk tucked Flair's head into his legs to do the pile driver, it reminded me of how the dude starts out in the, the porn gimmicks. But uh, second, Ric Flair 
Standing, yes, it's a standing 69. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Like, the way he tucks his head between... It's, anyway, we'll, we'll okay. talk about over beers one day. I'm sorry, it's the insertion period. But anyway, um, secondly, I can't believe I didn't notice this as a kid. And it's not just this, because he takes pile drivers throughout this rivalry. Ric Flair takes the weirdest pile driver bump of anyone I've ever seen in my life. He's basically doing a handstand. If you watch, like everyone mm-hmm. else is holding behind the guy's knees. Right. His hands are on the floor. And then he takes the pile driver. And all I think is that's a good way to break your neck because the guys holding the knees are tucking their head so that their mm-hmm. arms are at least going to hit before their head does if their head goes through the legs like what happened with uh, Austin, right? Right. The problem with Austin was it was a tombstone pile driver, but a sit down version where yeah, I. Who, I don't even know what Owen was thinking when he gave that move to Austin, but he killed him, right? Because mm-hmm. Austin is probably ready to take the forward bump, and he sits down, so he goes down like a regular pile driver. But I don't. I always, I think I always chalked it up to Terry Funk had a different pile driver than Orndorff. Orndorff mm-hmm. had what you call a jumping pile driver, whereas yeah. um, he, I would, I, I as a guy who's wrestled since. I would think that every single person that ever got pile drive by uh, Terry Funk sandbagged him, right? Can, can I can I ask you this question? When you looked at sure. this again, because I looked at it too, and you know I understand what you're talking about with the hand, hands holding on the table. Was yeah. Flair bracing for the break of the of the gimmick table? Did he thought that there was going to be gimmick, so he's trying oh. to protect himself think, from I anything think, further? I think it looked to me like Flair hadn't taken pile drivers for a while, right? Oh, okay. Because remember, there was no, there was no pat, there was no matted, there was no padded right. mats on right. the concrete. So he's right. like, "Oh, wait a minute, I don't I, know if I can take this." He was worried just about staying upright. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. realize you don't have the other guy's holding you up, right? He's holding right. you by the waist. You throw your legs up and you throw them over his shoulder. If you have to, you bend your knee. But mm-hmm. the problem is, if you go back and watch it, because his arms are loose like that, his his head is just begging to hit the floor or the mm-hmm. table at this point, right? And you're just like, dude, like, dude, it's dangerous. Like, you, right. your arms are nowhere near your neck to protect you when you actually do take the bump. But lucky for him, like I said, I, I call it like a sit-down sandbag pile driver almost, where he just kind of puts your head there, picks you up a little bit, and then he just takes a little butt bump, right? Mm-hmm. So really, it doesn't have the same high velocity that, that the Orndorff one. But if Flair took that pile driver like that from Orndorff, we wouldn't be talking about Flair winning a seventh world title, let alone a 16th. He would have died because his hands are just there. It's, it's, it was almost scary to me. And I, in in comparison, please, huh? In comparison to Macho Man doing that pile driver on the table to Ricky Morton in Memphis, he jumped. This was a very timid pile driver, but the visual of the, of the jam neck really speaks volumes because what it did was that it, it extended not only the feud, but it also extended a good storyline for WCW Saturday Night purposes. Now, here's the here's the thing where you know whether it's favoritism, TW. What's I'm going to ask you a personal opinion as a fan, or maybe even as a fan of Ric Flair, or maybe you was a fan of Ricky Stemo, so maybe you felt kind of cheated. Now, Ric Flair is his neck is jammed, and he's in a neck brace. And he won, wins the championship in May 7th, 1989. Now, contractually, in the tradition and the spirit 
of professional wrestling, a heavyweight champion is obligated to defend his title every 30 days. The president of WCW NWA, Jim Hurd at the time, extended that 30-day uh, moratorium, if you will, and granted him an extra 30 days. So he would not have defended, he did not get back into the ring until July of 1989 for Great American Bash. What say you before? Because during that time period, Terry Funk is on Saturday night at least every week, goading Ric Flair, goading the fans, calling him scared. You know, he's saying that he's a coward. He's all this stuff. So, you know, for TV purposes, I, w I was glued to, m to my seat, 6.05 on a Saturday. I wanted to hear what Terry Funk had to say. And during that time period from May to, to July, not only did he have promos, TW, but he had matches with Eddie Guerrero. He had those matches with, like, uh, George South, you know, getting his uh, win back, getting his timing back. So what say you, TW, about, you know, both avenues here? Well, let's be honest. Uh, WrestleMania two, I think Hogan got the 30 days extended from Jack Tunney because of his ribs. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, what are you going to do, have a tournament every time somebody attacks a wrestler? So, I mean, it, it didn't bother me. Um, I, I feel like Steamboat was an afterthought. <laughs> and he didn't save him. He didn't save his, the, the, his buddy Ric Flair that he respected after all this stuff. He just went back to the shop. That showed him he was a heel. At the same time, it happened so much after it. He might have been in the shower. We don't know. Well, you would have known because you'd have been you would have been that guy with the camera with the hole in the stall. But uh, I ain't but, no Ron Jeremy on that shit. Go ahead. Which it's funny you say that now. Your volume just cut. But uh, later on, we see something where Sting actually comes out and saves Ric Flair. So mm -hmm. why Sting and not not Steamboat? Well, that's that's a funny thing that you mentioned that so during this time period before we even talk about great american bash in this graver's rivalries edition reflectionites while terry funk is goading rick flair on tv tw while terry funk is goading the fans somebody you know carries the mantle for the honor of the world heavyweight champion and you just mentioned his name it is the man called sting he is now the current uh, nwa world television champion and Terry Funk and Sting have these, like, eye-to-eye -eye confrontations on the stage, TW. So I wanted to give you a little bit of feedback here. So one of his matches, even before Great American Bash, TW, was at a Clash of Champions against Ricky Steamboat. It was a top 10 contenders match to see where the, the rankings was. Because at that time, Terry Funk was number 6. And Ricky Steamboat was number two, and Terry Funk was pissed off that he was not number two, or at least not the number one contender TW. So long story short, you know, Terry Funk and Ricky Steamboat fought to a no contest, and then Luger betrays Steamboat because, he, no, no, actually Steamboat was number one contender, and Luger was the number two contender because he, the infamous there goes your number one contender line from uh, Lex Luger was said at Clash of Champions. So now... Let's fast forward to the Great American Bash, 1989 TW, Baltimore, Maryland, the Baltimore Arena. I bought this on paper. This was the first pay-per-view that I bought. Well, not me, but my father bought on pay-per-view <laughs> to enjoy. This, my first WWF pay-per-view was WrestleMania 5, 
and my first w, uh, NWA pay-per-view was Great American Bash. So this was a great time during the honeymoon period, TW, of having cable. So I was amped. I was no, actually, it was my second pay-per-view because it was Wrestle War that was my first pay-per-view. I was amped and I was jacked. This was this is a great time. You're right, TW, about having cable. We have all this availability. So anyway, we get to, to Great American Bash Reflection Nights. And one of the best promos ever, at, at least for the 80s TW, was Gordon Soley interviewing Ric Flair before the main event. And Ric Flair was very calm. He was very subdued, but very serious. And Gordon Soley, it turned into like Howard Cosell interviewing Muhammad Ali, but but Muhammad Ali wasn't amped up. You know what I mean? Muhammad Ali was not in character because he was giving Flair respect, but he was giving those hard-hitting questions. He's, he said to Ric Flair, how does your neck feel? Uh, do you think your timing's going to be up? Because you never, you didn't have those prep matches with those jobbers or those enhancement guys. <laughs> he gave, he gave all those legitimate questions. So for the fan watching this, TW, you you cast doubt to see if Flair would even retain the title against Terry Funk. Because going into this, TW, before we even talk about the match, as a young sixteen-year-old, I'm twelve years old here. I'm thinking Funk. Is going to become the new heavyweight champion because he can't because Flair cannot overcome his injuries because that neck I'm believing the neck injury TW I'm believing the hype of the injury what say you TW about before the match absolutely and and uh, that you know what it's funny because I I've always I've always thought Gordon Soley's overrated right um, but Gordon Soley was better at interviewing people and and like you said coming off as the hard hitting journalist right. I didn't particularly care for his commentating, right? I, I get I still, you. I still think Jim Ross and then Bob Cottle is, is the other one. And Bob Cottle was a good host and a good uh, interviewer as well. But mm-hmm. The two of them, Cottle and, and Gordon Soley, made it feel like sport. So when you have an interview like that and he's pointing out the injuries, pointing out the rust, he's pointing out the, the blood feud, really, because – on top of the fact that you're hurting all this, you're probably taking this match for personal reasons when you should be asking for another stay, right? You know, and mm-hmm. not um, whatever. But at the end of the day, he's 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 making it feel like you felt that Flair has no shot at winning. So it's it's good, it's good, and it and it you know you know one of the things about UFC is there's guys more nowadays that are are gimmicked up right who try doing interviews to just get their name out there and do gimmicks and you know the guy who does the shovel dig and all that you know you got all these mm-hmm. guys trying to sell merchandise really is what they're all doing but you're also trying to sell the fight um you got to so, brand yourself and the match right and so it's good to see flair not being Ric Flair, right? Like there's a mm-hmm. there's an obvious different Ric Flair in that ring or getting interviewed by Soli um, because he's not his self. Mm-hmm. He might have been hype, but he didn't stay hype. Right, I get you there. And then the match happens, TW, and even before the match happens, I mean, again, like I told you before when we did the television championship thing, I was hyped for two matches. One was Sting and Muda. And the other one was Flair and Funk. So by the time we get to the main event, your favorite Bob Cottle is on, you know, color commentary with Jim Ross. So these two were perfect synergies 
to call this match, in my humble opinion, it was the right duo for the right match. And Terry Funk comes in. And, and you know the funny thing? Like, you know that old saying, like the old myth that the heels go into these uh, arenas, TW, and people want to kill, you know, kill the heels? Right. Terry Funk almost welcomed that. He relished it. He wanted people to almost have a knife in their hand and be like, you really want to stab me? <laughs> You really want to stab me? Motherfucker, right. you really want to test me? Don't test a man from the Double Cross Ranch. I'm going to make you famous. But anyway, T Terry Funk comes down, and he is. And, and the surprising factor of this match was he was represented by Gary Hart. So it already added the element that Ric Flair is coming in with a disadvantage. But, of course, everybody was waiting for the music to play. The pyro happened, and then Ric Flair comes down, and the crowd went crazy, TW. Ric Flair had four girls in total, two on each side of his arms. He was kissing every woman in the Baltimore arena that he could because he was a horny pervert. But anyway, the fight happens, and this was the start of a great blood feud. You know, Ric Flair got color. I think... I think Terry Funk got a little bit of color, but not too much. It was all about Ric Flair overcoming the odds. And Flair wins with the figure four leg lock. But again, it wasn't about that, TW, because now they even extended this storyline. This could have been over. But he, didn't then they, the, he didn't win with the figure four leg lock. He won he with the inside cradle. Oh, okay. I, I, I apologize. I was so, I'm so amped up because this is one of those great rivalries. But It's because... Here's why. If he loses to the figure four leg lock, then you can't have an I quit match. No, no, I, I get you. I, I, I'm, I'm getting confused with the I, I quit see, match here. I remember. I mean, I just mm -hmm. watched it, but I also would have remembered, mm -hmm. like, if he already quit, why would you then have an I quit match? No, no, but then it wouldn't extend this feud. It wouldn't extend right. this storyline if he won by the Must figure four. My, my apologies, but they added some pieces to extend the storyline into the summer and into the fall. They added the element of Muda. They added the element of Sting here. And then TW, I mean, what say you about even the, the match itself? You know, how Flair, he looked good. I mean, again, when you're a young guy not privy to the, to the backstage bullshit of the business, you know that this was great storyline. This was great storytelling. Everything was pristine. What say you, TW, about the match? And the thing is, is uh, one of the things that I thought while I was watching this match was, you know what? This could not happen in WWF. It couldn't have. Mm -hmm. um, I think Ric Flair, because by the time Flair gets to WWF in 92, he's older, right? Like, mm -hmm. he's got that. Well, 90, 91, 91 to be oh, fair. Okay, 91. But he's got that terrible haircut. Um, he's not the same guy. He's broken. He said it in interviews himself, and that Royal Rumble reinvigorated him, right? So, mm -hmm. but you, you're watching it, and like I think someone like you and I, who as a kid then we don't we don't get age, we don't understand old and young and all that. And to be perfectly honest, most guys back then were in their 30s to 40s anyway. If mm -hmm. we even knew who they were, it wasn't until they started bringing in the Z-Mans and the Brian Pillmans and the Alex Wrights where it got younger. But most of those guys were Luger was in his 30s, Sting's in his 30s. All these guys are they're, they're seasoned, right? Even mm -hmm. though Luger was only four years in the business by 90. But, you know, age, age wasn't a factor in our eyes as fans. We right. just wanted a good but match. Now, now when you see it, you realize Terry Funk wasn't getting that opportunity in the WWF because of mm -hmm. his age. I mean, he got matches with Hogan, but he, they weren't going to be WrestleMania. They weren't mm -hmm. going to be SummerSlam. They were just a house show or Saturday Night's main event. 
Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Flair, Flair's Flair, so he overcame all that because he's Flair, right? And mm-hmm. I think if 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 Flair proved anything, like. I, I get it. Vince McMahon's not the same guy he was back in 84, 85, but Vince McMahon, I think what he proved with Ric Flair, and I think he would have done it with Sting too, but, you know, everybody's convinced he would have buried Sting and blah, blah, blah. But I, I think Flair was proof that Vince loves the business, right? You mm-hmm. can't do Flair dirty. He might have done Dusty dirty with the polka dots, but Dusty made it work, right? And mm-hmm. honestly, and honestly, let's be honest. There's the Dusty Rhodes tag team tournament now. There's, I, I think him and Dusty were cool too, but it was probably more of a rib than it was right. a burial. But he, he, Flair had one hell of a run in the WWE for it being a little over a year, a little under a year. Um, plus, he didn't, he didn't bury the Brainbusters, which you know was probably that he knew however they treated him, them, was going to be the factor in whether Flair ever came there, right? Because if you treat them like shit, why would he want to go there ever? Mm-hmm. But it's a contributing factor, I get you. Mm-hmm. But the Brain Busters got treated like royalty. And, 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 you know, if we're being honest, they're nothing in the big picture. They're just Flair's horsemen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we both would agree if Tully and Iron weren't horsemen, we probably don't talk about Tully and Iron as often as we do. No, but, not, but 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 both wait, wait. know that's my favorite tag team with the Rockers, so hold, I, it's not that I'm. But hold on, hold on, hold on to that sentiment because let, let's just say this. Remember, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham left. They're right. in the WWF now in '89. Right. So now Flair has got to carry this fledgling company who's losing money hand over fist. So now he's having great matches with Steamboat in the early part of '89, and now he's getting into this blood feud with Terry Funk. And this is, again, this is proof positive that you can have great storytelling with Flair and Funk. Go ahead, TW. I'm sorry. just yeah, wanted no, to say that statement. You're right. And, and, and that's exactly what it was, is, is it, it was good. And, and I honestly, up until the last match, see, I quit match. I don't, I don't know how long that was after the attack. It sounds like it was a few months. Well, well, keep let's keep it with the Great American Bash because that's where everything is but, good right, here. But I'm, no, I'm talking about where he actually attacks him first. Okay. You said it earlier a little bit. Like Terry Funk's in the shape of his life. Like he's mm-hmm. never looked better. And and by the time the I Quit match comes around, he looks a little old, right? Like like he's a little upper, pudgy. Yes, he looks not, a little pudgy. Not, his upper body looks regular but his lower body looks like an old man right like there's no mm-hmm. muscle to it at all whereas okay. the first match where, where muda comes out at the end and hits the miss he just and, and one thing i loved about it man i i think i've said this on the show before the realest move in wrestling the move that everybody hates uh, myself included i'm sure you know what move it is please mm-hmm. please tell me if you do if you don't then i'll go ahead and tell you but there's one move that is the absolute realest move in all of wrestling, and uh, do you know what it is? Now you're you're, you're stumping me. It's easy. It's, it's the Frankensteiner. Yeah. No, no, I said the realest move. Who the fuck is going to be walking down the street and take a Frankensteiner? Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm aim, and I'm talking real. Like there's no faking it. It is what it is, and mm-hmm. there's a certain guy who's known for it. Go ahead. Ruth Flair. Oh, the chop? The chop. Mm -hmm. And every single time Flair chops Terry Funk, Terry Funk chops him just as hard back. Like, almost physical. It's to the neck. Right. This is a fight. It's so physical that you can see the blood coming off the chest of Terry Funk. 
and rookies get taken advantage of by people with chops. Like there's not a there's not a rookie who's ever been in a ring with me, ask Travis, who didn't get a chop. And the next level chop is the Brian Pillman chop. The overhand, mm-hmm. full hand to the chest, right? Not not the sideways one. The coming down like you're smacking a basketball out of someone's hand when they're dunking. And, like Big Show does. Right. And, mm-hmm. oh, boy, did I light, light those guys up. And the beauty of it was I wrestled with a shirt. So I didn't get that sting from chops. Mm-hmm. But I definitely got, you know, where you feel like you got your chest blown out. Reverberation. You got the reverberation. <laughs> oh, I got the handprints, too, right? Because mm-hmm. like, they're just so stiff. But but Ric Flair and Terry Funk, like, if you watch it and you and you know what hurts and what doesn't hurt, you know they're laying it into each other. And and just like I said when I wrestled, if I knew you, I laid it in, man. There was no – because I knew we were going to be drinking beers after the match. There was no way I was hitting you with a fake punch or fake kick or fake whatever. I mean, I wasn't killing you. There's different mm-hmm. degrees. There's stiff. There's there's tight. There's mm-hmm. there's soft. And then I was more tight. Like when I hit you, everyone knew I hit you. I just didn't follow through. So when I or snug is when when you did the chop, just like Flair does the chop, or even Brian Pillman, you want the sound to right. reverberate. For the sound, yes. Absolutely. It's always for the sound. It's not about the if it hurts. You just want but the you, sound. But you but you know the louder the sound the more it hurt because someone dug deeper, right? Mm-hmm. You're, okay. you're, you don't just go to get the sound. You wind up and you go from behind your left shoulder mm-hmm. past their left shoulder with the follow-through. And it it right. hurts, man. There's no – I have yet to see an interview. I think The Undertaker even said an interview. He's like, man, nobody likes some chops because no one does. And mm-hmm. – and in a lot of matches where, you know, you know you're getting them when you wrestle Ric Flair, right? I think Sean did them a lot, too. But I think he did them more as a nod to Flair, and he did it once or twice. Flair did mm-hmm. it all damn night. 60-minute match, you got 60 Flair chops. But uh, the bottom line is when a guy who doesn't chop chops you, like, say, me and Travis, the second one of us chops the other one, guarantee the next words to come out of the guy's mouth who got chopped is, oh, Okay, and then you're fucking you're throwing back and forth, hitting chops on each other, and it's it's fun. It ain't fun when you're done. I mean, I'm well, sure you know, you don't want to punch somebody in the face and then try to you know a shoot fight. So right. the best you can do is right. to chop each other. And Flair, you know, Flair and Garvin love to chop each other. Yeah. Flair and Steamboat love to chop each other. Well, and of course, here with beautiful chops, double hand, double chop. right. And Flair and and Flair and Funk loved to chop each other because they wanted to be physical and they wanted to look realistic. So with but this, they're at the same time. There's a respect factor. So with the Great American Bash being over, and then you add the components of Sting and Muda into this, now you got two on two to carry you from July, August, September, October. So TW, I mean, your man Sting is on the come up. So let's just talk about Sting for just a quick, brief minute or two here, here, TW. He's on the come up here. You know, they're building him up. He was the television champion. He has a great main event match with Great Buddha at at Bash 89. It ended chicanery. But who cared about the wins and losses on that match when you come and save Ric Flair? Flair... You you're saving Ric Flair. Not all, you're being you're over like Rover. You're being handed the mantle. You're being handed a torch. You're being you know co-signed by Ric Flair. What say you? 
Yeah, I mean, he's bringing them up, and 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 it's not long after all this as we get Flair versus Sting. Right, um, a year later. Yeah, well, he got hurt a year later, but nine, February of 90s when he got hurt, I think. Or mm-hmm. No, I'm just saying for logistics, a year later in the same arena, he faces oh, Flair well, for the title. Flair, so that's... Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about the Clash of the Champions match, the one that mm-hmm. made him. Uh, right. I hate that was 88. Okay, so it was before this. You told me it was after it. No, no, I'm talking about the, the, when he wins the title. That was before this. No, I'm not... no, no. He wins. He won the title on um, July 7, 1990, baby. That's my birthday. So I know. Poster over there. Mm-hmm. You can, can kind of see it right there. Yeah, I can see um, it. I thought the Clash of the Champions was earlier, 88, because it wasn't long after the UWF got absolved, and 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 that's where he got on the map, really. Um, the match put him on the map, but this save at Great American Bash '89 put him. It co-signed him because right. Flair I mean, wanted to work away for him to be a horseman eventually too, or whatever. Right. But uh, but yeah, no, no. I mean, I liked it, and Sting looks like a million bucks here. But the one thing I did notice about him was, you know, people gave him shit when he was in uh, Impact because they're like, this guy owns a gym and he looks like he doesn't work out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, by that point, he's late 40s, early 50s, right? So it's not like. Time doesn't wait, you know, catch up to people. But uh, at the end of the day, um, he didn't have that good a build. He just was in shape, I guess you would say, right? He, and he was big. Mm-hmm. But that 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 promo that you had me watch where Terry Funk comes out and interu- interrupts him, um, I, I think you see how green Sting is still, right? Mm-hmm. It, who he reminded me of there was Austin Theory. Like, he's just standing there listening to Terry and taking it all in. He's absorbing the knowledge. Absorbing it and learning. Mm-hmm. And, and then when he responds, it's so juvenile. Like, again, right. uh, 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 exhibit seven for scripts because that, he really doesn't know what to say. You know? No, no. That that. But it was not even about Stink to even say anything. It was about right. Flair. When he said, thank you, pal, he gave him the handshake and all that stuff for saving him. But yeah. what Flair... But now we get the flare on 10. We get flare on 20 because he's ready to style and woo profile. He And he said, I'm just breaking a good sweat. I want more of Terry Funk. And again, because you got Saturday nights and you got Clash of Champions. You know, before we even talk about Halloween Havoc and the Thunderdome TW, there was a Clash of Champions where Sting and Flair faced Muda and Dick Dirty Dick Slater. And I'm not going to talk about the match, T.W., per se. I just wanted to give this for credence for the greatest rivalries here, T.W., is Terry Funk faked an injury. It was so great. And then he comes out, interferes in that match to build on the Thunderdome match for October for pay-per-views, T.W. It was so perfect. And what did Terry Funk do, Reflectionites? He put a trash bag over Ric Flair's head and tries to kill him, T.W. You can't do this on T. You can't do this on cable TV anymore, T.W. What say you? Terry Funk takes a trap. You know this is, you know this is booking one on one. This is how a heel is supposed to be represented. You can't do this now because it looks like you're trying to commit a murder. You can't put a trash bag over a guy's head, try to you know reduce oxygen from him because that's the visual. He's trying to kill him. What say you, T.W. Well, it just went downhill from there because since then we've had guys trying to kill people with forklifts, uh, mm-hmm. monster trucks, tossing them off the roof of the Cobo Hall. Um, what other taking taking eyes out, taking Being your eyes alive, out. Uh, Kai and Tai chopping off Valvinus's junk. I mean, mm-hmm. it 
it just was all downhill from there. But, it, it, you know, and then he ends up wrestling with that bag over his head as Chainsaw Charlie. Well, well, that's that's te- that's that's Terry Funk. No, he was wrestling with pantyhose, not a not a plastic bag. Oh, let's, Dick let's get- to do it. Oh boy! But anyway, here here we go. Reflection eyes. We're gonna get into October 1989. They build it so great. Tw, it's the Thunderdome. Now, visually, the Thunderdome sucks because they they thought too. They put too much emphasis Decorated. on the Thunderdome. They put too much emphasis on the electrocution on the top. But the but the logistics. Tw. I mean, we have to be honest. And you know, being 12 years old, I like the visual. But then when you look at how it played out, it looked, I think it was great in theory, but then when you put the electric stuff on the top, you actually, you, you're asking these 30 plus year old men to do a spot where it really doesn't make no sense. I thought the electricity was going to be on the sides. So this way, you know, you don't want to touch it because you had five, you had five to six feet of, of, of spacing between the ring and the cage so you could actually do something where you can you know touch the cage from the bottom but they people but they wanted you to climb up to the top of the roof tw what say you about the visual uh disadvantages of this cage visually looked good on tv but way the way it played out it just looked hard like how they had all the voodoo halloween decorations all around it because when sting and mooder fighting up in the corner i can't i don't i don't are they trying to grab that stuff it's just kind of in their way and then mm-hmm. mooder takes uh uh he takes a bump where his leg slips through the opening and he nut shots himself on the bar. It almost right. looked like a ripoff of uh, the WWE steel blue cage, right? The blue steel. And then mm-hmm. with the roof, like the Pujambi prison match. So that would be before that. Um, it mm-hmm. just, it was too much. And, yeah. and they really didn't do anything. Like, and when you curve the ceiling like that, I think impact had some, the, the X division match in the cage, I think had that kind of sloped, Mm-hmm. ceiling where you could still get in from the top but yeah you couldn't really climb up to it like that because of the way it was shaped you had um, to be like a flying walenda to to like scale those cages with the curves that's what that like i said in theory it looked good in theory you know you wanted to get asses and seats and i think well and of course they were in a and they wanted to get to what you would call it uh what you what you would call it uh they wanted to get you know, people from Philadelphia to, you know, buy this pay-per-view. They wanted to get people from Philly. They were invading WWF country, TW. So, you know, to be honest here, they wanted to invade WWF country, and it didn't work. You know, they, you know, this is Jim Hurd. This is Ric Flair, you know, trying to do some things because they were the bookers, TW. So, honestly, it just did not work for, you know, logistic purposes. But they tried their best. But the match was actually decent. Now you you added the element of Bruno San Martino, the living legend, who was already pissed off at Vince McMahon. So he was like, I'll do anything, you know, against uh, WWF. So Plus, I like wanted the- to I wanted to do that. So that that was the funny element to have him in the match. What say you about Bruno San Martino? You know, did did he do anything for UTW or it was just nothing? Well, it's always weird to me because I'm sure Bruno had some kind of run in the NWA pre-WWF existence, WWWF existence, but a lot of, like, for me, and I mentioned earlier about Vern Gagne and Nick Bockenwinkle, which they ended up hiring him and and Larry, Um, but Mm -hmm. to me, which I, I get it, I know why they did it, they did it to make it look like they were all together versus the WWF, Mm -hmm. but... 
The problem was they're bringing all these guys in who were famous for being in the WWF. So really, all it does is look like you t- you needed WWF guys to to do whatever you needed to do. But like the slamborees and stuff, there's so many. Like I remember seeing Gagne's, Gagne, Gagne's, and and Bakowinko and uh, Ray Steve. He's is he an NWA guy or WWE guy? He's like old, old, right? Like Wait, that's who, old NWA. Who are you talking about? Ray Stevens? No, no, no. Uh, Pat O'Connor. He's like NWA no, he's old, a, old. He's an NWA old guy. He wasn't. I don't yeah. think he was into WWE. But, but my point is, they, they bring all these guys in, and I think '89, the AWA still around. So when mm-hmm. when you bring a guy like Bruno in, he, why didn't they try to buy the AWA like they did the UWF? Like you know what I mean? Make it a damn stacticon like the Transformers and buy up all the territories, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't, and and so to me. It's almost like the virtue signaling that you see today when 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 they bring in Bruno, he really has not no what you're acknowledging a WWF champion. He's done nothing for the WCW, nothing right. for NWA, right? Mm-hmm. And you bring him in as this enforcer referee, it almost just comes off as a childlike, haha, we got him from you, but you realize as a kid, no you didn't, cuz all he did was talk on TV. That's it. He was Vince's broadcast partner. That's what I know mm-hmm. him as. And then right. you got him as your referee. Yeah, I know. He was the first world champion or second world champion. He beat Buddy Rogers in nine seconds or whatever, 12 seconds. But the but the point is, what what does he bring to WCW or NWA folklore? Nothing. Why? Yeah. He'd be better off making Ole the referee and, and make everyone think he's going to turn on Flair and Sting and then doesn't and calls it down the middle, right? And he's in there throwing the damn towel. I still don't understand what he's doing with the towel. His biggest but, contribution was to punch Muda. And yeah. to catch the towel that was uh, thrown to him via Ole Anderson punching Gary Hart. So Ric Flair and Sting. Oh, that's what happened. He mm-hmm. punched Gary and made it look like he threw in the towel. Right. So I missed that because I'm like, how the hell is Ole throwing a towel and making Flair win? No, no, it was, it was Gary Hart. Now, remember, TW, now Flair has uh, Terry Funk in the, in the figure four leg lock. But Sting is going off the top like about five times doing frog splashes onto Terry Funk. So now Terry Funk is taking punishment two ways. His knees are cracking and his ribs are fucked are being fucked up. So long story short, Sting and Flair get the win here, TW. And, you know, you would think it's over. Of course not. It's, it's not over. You know, TW... Before we, we get into the, you know, the, the peace day resistance of the I Quit match, how does Terry Funk continue to make this blood feud even great? This, is one of, this, this was a pro wrestling illustrated feud of the year 1980. He lost against Flair Great American Bash. He lost against Ric Flair here in the Thunderdome. He took, you know, but he didn't, he technically, you know, there was a lot of chicanery, you could say. So he he was kind of protected in his heel role, T.W. But I, I guess the promo saved him. Am I right, wrong, or indifferent on this opinion? You're right. Um, you know, it's... How long does this thing go? February? When, see, that's... I think I was messed up when I said February is when it happened. But I think you said he got hurt. It goes from, it goes from May so to February November. So really the start of the Flare Steamboat. So mm-hmm. February, March, April, and then right. May ends, and mm-hmm. then Funk really doesn't get his hands on him until July, or Flair gets his hands on him. But mm-hmm. now, I, 
Actually, when I was watching it, I was thinking, I wonder how long they signed him for. But um, just side note, when when I was done watching the last the I Quit match, the next match that you two put on for me was 1990. I want to it wasn't the Baltimore one because I think that was before all this. That was 88. Mm-hmm. Um, Luger as U.S. champ versus Flair, and Flair's a heel again already. Um, but it was because Sting got hurt. And that was Kappa, that was uh, Wrestle War 90. Right, because he got so that's. That's in the fall, then. No, that's that's early February, ninety. No, no, he got hurt at Capital Combat, which I thought was February. Mm-mm. That was February. No, it was February. It was the clash at February, and but there was a pay per view in February also. Wrestle War ninety. And didn't he get hurt on? Uh, they had like a live CBS. That was their attempt to to combat NBC's Saturday Night's Main Event. And that's where Sting got hurt climbing that damn cage. No, it was a it was a Wednesday clash. It was a Wednesday oh, was- February clash. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. All right, so wrestle, I always thought Wrestle War was like a fall thing. Maybe I'm thinking War Games, not even War Games. I don't no, know. No, you're thinking, you're thinking, like I know what you are, I know what you are, I know old age and Alzheimer's is getting you, but it was, it's, it's fall brawl you're thinking of. Right, but didn't Wrestle War start in the fall and it became fall Mm-mm. brawl? Whatever. Mm-mm. So, but no, I, I remember thinking, damn, I wonder how long they signed him for. But anyway, the reason I brought up the Luger thing is Funk is back on commentary for that. Mm-hmm. So... He must have signed at least a two-year deal or a one and a half, or or he's just coming in on the the handshake. I don't know, but it could have uh, been a year with an option. But you know, like I said, like you know, F- Funk did a lot of smart things after these two, after these the three high-profile matches. Even before we get to the I Quit match reflection, I said that'll be our main event here on Greatest Rivalries. I think again, what is you know, you have to applaud Funk putting asses in seats or, you know, doing his job as a heel because he, you know, it just looked like every time on Saturday at 605 TW, nothing hurt uh, Funk. He he felt cheated. He felt robbed. He didn't quit against Flair. So he had to, you know, you had to up the ante. And, you you know, the, the one thing I would say here is like, you know, AEW just did war games, right? So a lot of people say that's the blow off. That should be a blow off. But we know that it's going to continue the feud. So, TW, they just had Thunderdome. So, hindsight is the same logic. Isn't this the blow-off? Isn't this feud over? Shouldn't we go into Flair against, you know, Luger or Flair against somebody else? But they continue this, TW. So, are you, you know, are you co-signing with the way they went into, they, they got to the I Quit match? Because, again, what Funk did is going 605 to goat Flair, and Flair oh, retorts back, and he wants more of Funk. So it's not like it's a, even I like even it. Flair says it's not over. So what say you? I, I like it because, you know, we talked about this on other shows, right? Modern wrestling, Kenny Omega and Moxley, Ambrose, whatever, fought each other a thousand times already, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so as... Omega and Jericho or Hangman Pierce and Page, whatever. But nowadays wrestling, everybody fights everybody a hundred times because it's so oversaturated. The way they did this stuff back then, like we're talking about it. He had the first match, Muda come out. He has the tag match. He has, because I think they had a regular tag match before that thing in the cage. They had the cage match, and then they have the I Quit match. And I'm sure they wrestled each other on house shows a million times. But I'm talking strictly TV and production. Four Mm. matches in five months. That's pretty damn good. And they stretched it out. It's why I think Cena Austin, or Cena Rock, 
is the greatest thing in wrestling in the last 10 years was those three WrestleManias, two years of a feud where they wrestled twice. Twice. Mm -hmm. And they right. carried it. And that's old school. That's why you don't have these guys wrestling each other a million times. And then guess what? If you spend six months feuding with Funk, that means you've wrestled no one else other than squash matches or the one-offs. And now when you do get in the program with Luger and you're with him for six months and you do the same thing, you chase and you got the faces in tag matches, you add a war games, you add a, a, a bunkhouse stampede, you add all this stuff in there to just like to, to space out the actual one-on-one -on -one matches. And now you got two guys you've worked in one year. Some guys wrestle two guys in one night of Raw and then wrestle the same two guys again a month later. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, oh, a week later. <laughs> I prefer... Yeah, or a week later. I I prefer this stuff. That, like mm -hmm. you said, the storyline and and the longevity of it. And you know, you know, I I gave it some shit because I here's here you said something about the fans turning on Steamboat, right? I I think I don't remember that, right? I don't. Um, but if it did happen, I would say one of two reasons, and and it's it goes right in hand with you saying they're trying to invade the North and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. They paint. Anybody in the WCW, NWA payroll paints the WWE as a frickin' circus and a clown show, right? Mm -hmm. And now that does two things. That makes everybody who likes those things, WWE, not like you, right? Mm -hmm. But it also makes your fan base not like anybody doing that. And, and the second time Steamboat came back, I think it was the second time in like ninety or ninety one when well, he came out. With technically eighty nine. This was the second time he came back. Where's to, the uh, time NWA. where he came out? Where's the time where he came out with the with the snake head or the dragon head on for Dustin Rose mystery partner? That was his third time in ninety one. Okay, so so basically, you spend all your time saying what a circus it is and cartoon and all this, and then mm -hmm. every chance you get to get a guy. You do it with Junkyard Dog. You do it with Ricky Steamboat. You do it with Jake the Snake Roberts. You do it with all these guys, and you bring them in, and they have basically the same character they had there with the accentuation of the uh, cartoon parts, the the dragon head. Uh, Jake the Snake was Jake the Snake forever, but now mm -hmm. he's got Damien, and he's got the bag with him, and, and he everything about him is just a uh, amped-up WCW version of the WWF version. And Junkyard Dog comes out and does grab them cakes with different music, and but he's still rah, 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 Junkyard Dog. So you, you, you can't keep burying it. That's why it's best to just not talk about it. Perfect example. I just said earlier about Terry Funk. When he comes to WWF, nobody even knows who the hell he is in WWF because it is a separate fan base, and they just think he's a new guy. And, hey, look at this guy. But if mm -hmm. they spent all their time bashing him in WCW or NWA when he was champion, why would anyone care about him when he got there? You just said he was shit, so why do we care? So what happens in the 90s? When the WCW's kicking WWS ass, they start doing that stuff, and they put the Shuckster and Nacho Man and Billionaire Ted, and now they're making fun of WCW, and all they're doing is sending fans down there and, mm -hmm. and winning the war because of it, right? Um, so it's just it doesn't pay to bash the competition in my eyes. And so when you got WCW, because, you know, another town that they did, I, you, when you said what you said, Steamboat and Flair did Chi-Town Rumble or whatever that was, and they did all right in Chicago. They, mm -hmm. just, they just could not do shit in New York and up in that area because it's just, there's, there's just so much. It's a different bitterness. monster. It's a different right. monster but, of a but, crowd. But, 
but there was still they all bashed each other. So it was like, keep out. We don't want you here. All you do is make fun of the shit we like. Get out. I of here. I, I would say this now in twenty twenty wonder. It, there's no such thing in any state or in any country, you know, well, I'm not going to say country. I'll say in, in the United States, there's no WWF country. If it's, right. if no, it's New not. York, New York, a New York wrestling fan wants any wrestling company to right. be in Madison Square Garden. It's not about, oh, we just want WWE. No, right. not anymore. Not in 2020 wonder. But in 1989, we would say we just want WWF. Not 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 in twenty twenty one. So with that, you know, again, Bruno did not do anything but just say ha ha. Like the you mo- was right. The modern, the modern version of that though, and it's hard to tell now because there's not fans there. But mm-hmm. AEW talks so much shit about WWE and then signs all the fucking guys they can they, when they can to get out of there. There hasn't been anyone leave AEW to go to WWF yet, right? No. So one of them doesn't make fun of the unless other they're one. they're performance center people, so it doesn't really right, matter. Right, but I'm not. I mean, on te- like I can't wait for the day when Hangman Page goes to WWF and becomes a star because he will. He's going right. to be the first one to leave there and go there. This is my prediction, and they're going to make a star of that guy, right? And 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 they're going to do it because none of the other five core guys would, right? Yeah. And so. But what my point is, they've never badmouthed him. So when they bring him on TV, I, I'll tell you what I'm not a fan of when they change guys' names. It's, and like mm-hmm. I don't care. Like there's some indie no. guy that's got a new name on NXT and 205 Live, but I don't care about guys like that when nobody knows who the hell they are. But like if they would have changed Adam Cole, I, I, LA Knight, I hate it. I absolutely mm-hmm. hate it. Well, you call him Eli Knight. I don't even care if you call him Eli Knight, but LA Knight? Let's trademark. You know this. You know this. It's trademark IP. LA Knight. L.A. Knight is dumb. The only thing that makes it good. I agree. He's all in for it. Again, I agree, but they, you know, it's an IP issue. It's a trademark issue. But anyway, let's get into this I Quit match, T.W. Let's let's kill it. Let's kill off this rivalries edition here of the PWR podcast here, T.W. You know, Flair and Funk, this is the epic way to end this blood feud. This is the epic way to end this uh, rivalry, TW. This is the biggest way because, you know, the I quit. When two men are fighting to the death, you could say, figuratively, when you, when one man says, I quit to the other man, that is, you are less than of a man. What say you, TW, about the rules? Because we, we don't have this. It, this is, again, like uh, Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard. But now this is on cable TV. It's on free TV for you. What say you, TW? Free TV is good TV. I mean, I swear. <laughs> yeah. It got me all in on there. So, and, and wasn't it Sting Flair was the very first one? Uh, what, Clash? Yeah. Yeah, that was Clash 1, yeah. From, from that point on, every Clash was much watched. Or mm-hmm. must see. And, and, and so... I, I love it. I and 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 the other thing about it was it's you know what I would equate it to. I keep going back to modern wrestling. It's takeover. You got you got all mm-hmm. these weekly shows, and then you have this big one that's still free. And mm-hmm. and it, well, it's not anymore because it's going to be on that stupid Peacock thing. But but you you I've not well I think I might have missed the last takeover, but I think no I watched it. it was two nights. But 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 the thing is you can't miss it. You had and back then you watched it then or you never saw it again. Right, like that is true. They might have had a replay at one a.m., but you were asleep. You just school the next day. But I I love them. And and like I said, one of my favorite matches ever is is Eddie Gilbert and Ron Simmons versus the Fantastics in the mm-hmm. finals of that U.S. tag tournament on Clash. And it was one of the first matches, first or second. Mm-hmm. Maybe even open the show, but there was never, you know, and 
I think you and I covered a class that had a job match on it. Me thinking, what the fuck? I don't even remember that. You know, like them having squash matches on there. But the good thing is, those were probably just time fillers. Um, mm-hmm. That they just had guys on standby. Go out there and beat them in five minutes. We That last match went short. You know, something like that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, they were so good, you don't remember those things happened, right? Because mm-hmm. you're still talking about Flair, Steamboat, Flair, Funk, Flair, Sting, uh, Fantastics versus Simmons and, and Eddie, Luger versus Sid, which ended up being a dud. But I thought it was going to be the greatest match of all time. You, second, you, you know, you can't. They can't all. You can't hit a homer all the time. So with this match, they hit a homer with this I Quit match again. The physicality, the chops, and all this stuff, and of course, Flair and Flair is working on Funk's leg, and you know, T.W. Terry Funk. I think for the crowd because this was this particular clash was in Troy, New York. So they were trying to again. They were trying to enter. Uh, Vince country. They were trying to enter WWF country again. They're trying to invade New York. You understand? But again, the fans are there. It might not be a sellout, but the fans are there. They're intrigued. They're you know they heard about what NWA brings to the table. And of course, by '89, you know a good semblance of the country has cable TV. So you've seen NWA wrestling on TBS. So it's nothing. It's like what is this or who is Flair or who is Funk. You get an idea of this, T.W. So what's what do you think about this particular match being the blow off of this feud? Well, you always have the fear of them trying to outdo Tully and, and Magnum, Mag- mm-hmm. but it's not in a cage. Um, I really, really like the ending of it. Uh, it's definitely definitive. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's it's, you know, you're not 35 years later saying I never quit, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, but it. It, you know, it, it more of pile drivers, <laughs> more times where you, you pray for Flair, even though you know he survived it because it was 30 years ago, but you're still thinking he's going to die taking the pile driver that way. Um, again, by now, Funk looks older to me. The tights are terrible. They're like, they, they remind me, there was a point where I looked. He comes and gets him to take him. Like, all he's missing is a nightcap in the shirt um mm-hmm. he just looks smaller like you know and that's the thing he's out in hollywood he's working with stone he's probably gassing up for these movies and then he stops doing it when he comes back to wrestling but he's still looking jack from the movies and then six months later you ain't on the sauce no more and you're on the road and right. you know it's just and he's older so it's just probably warm down whereas that's where it's funny really in the real aspect of it that's where flair inevitably was right saying you're not ready you've been hollywood for five years you're not in the shape that these guys are in someone like flair who's probably older than funk Mm -hmm. um but he's doing it every night and he never stopped so he's he's hitting on all cylinders funk slowed down a lot by the time this feud's Mm -hmm. over plus i I still stand i still stand what i say this was funk's best year as a heel This was Absolutely. Funk's best look as a heel. I understand the that from the July of '89 to here in Troy, New York, he looks a little. I, I I see a little pudge. He looks a little pregnant here at the I Quit match. So I will give you that. But this is his best run as a wrestler, and of course, I think he even won a villain of the year. He might have been the villain of the year, or, or even the top, you know, contender for vil, a villain of the year or heel of the year. Did you say of the year? This was definitely the feud of the year in PWI, in the PWI Aftermax. You got Mm -hmm. two guys that know what they're doing out there, and they did it. 
you know, and they and they did it well. And and here's the other thing, like I think I might have told you this before on the show, but I always try to look at people's faces when matches start. Mm-hmm. When I don't know, like if I'm watching it live, to see if they look like they like you can read that they're losing, right? Because unfortunately, a lot of guys these days, it's written all over their face when they're coming. They can't. Out. They can't fake it. They can't they fake it. Hate the fact that they're losing, which which means they're marks for themselves and all that. You know, just silly stuff. These two guys, Flair and Steamboat, as well. well actually, that's only three guys, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You never knew by the look on the face who was winning, who was losing. They just showed up. They were, they made like, like that match I told you that came on after Luger and and Flair face to face, and the cameras in their face. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when guys are facing off in the middle of the ring like that, they're going, "All right, man, you remember the first spot? All right, tackle, drop down, hip toss." And they're like, "I got it, I got it." But they look like they're talking shit to each other. Flair and and and. Uh, Luger are really talking shit to each other. Like, mm-hmm. you better be ready, pal. You better, you better be ready. And you know what? That might have been a shoot, too, right? Like, Flair's like, you know what? You got the spot. You better be ready for because Sting got hurt. But uh, but it's just, it just, it, it, they just, they're professionals, man. I don't know any other way to put it. And mm-hmm. they show up. They do their thing. But I, I, I also think there are guys who don't do as much in a loss as they would in a win because they're not amped for it, right? So, right. Terry Funk might have looked a little slower in there this time, and but again, I I still think some of it's fatigue. It's rust. He's he's going from really from the end of the Steamboat match on. He's going after not doing it for five years, and you just you get tired. The mind was there, but the body didn't follow. Right. That's what you're trying to say. And the ending of this, of course, Flair um uh, Flair wins, makes Funk say I quit. He is so adamant that. Flair, Flair is so adamant that he wants the handshake, or I think right. it was Funk, that they had no, to have the handshake. Flair said, you get yeah. your ass in here and shake my hand. Right. So he, there was that respect factor here, and of course, they were trying to continue the feud between Flair and Gary Hart's, you know, Muda and the JTEX Corporation. They were trying to continue that so they can incorporate the third storyline, you know, leaving those Easter eggs of Flair versus Sting, which would happen by July of 1990. So, again, TW, I'm going to say this. This is one of the best rivalries. I think it's not about the matches, but I love seeing all three of these matches and all three of the the paradoxes here because what started in WrestleWar as a man who's a judge to become the number one contender at Bash, and then when you try to do the Thunderdomes and you try to, like, you know, out Vince Vince, it doesn't work. But they tried, so I have to give them A for effort. But it's still the feud of the year for 1989. It's still one of the best blood feuds of all time in the professor's humble opinion especially on cable and if you saw it on tv there were better blood feuds that were not seen on tv tw we know this right but at least for the purposes of having cable tv and beyond this is a, still one of the best infamous blood feuds of all time tw what say you in closing this out absolutely but it also came it delivered it wasn't just the blood feud it was good matches it was a good story it was you incorporated other people you made muda you made sting um Mm -hmm. you know you elevate those guys um and plus you were just telling me last week or the week before muda wasn't even around that long but yet Mm -hmm. he he's every bit etched in my memory as being a wcw nwa guy you know especially when i first got cable that dude was around and uh Mm -hmm. So for me, like, 
man, I, I guess I, I don't think either one of us disagree that wrestling was better back then, but I also think partly is because we were kids and uh, right. there might be better wrestlers. There might be better match concepts. There might even be better matches now, but it's for different reasons, you know, and, and everybody mm-hmm. complains about storylines and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, you know, I don't see too many people criticize AEW that actually complimented as well. It's, it seems like you got to be all in or all out. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they're having meetings because everybody's the same, which you don't want that either. Right. right. That's, that's, that's the other thing that, you know, I, I watch so many matches anymore where guys are doing the other guys' moves. And, like, think about it back then. Nobody else was doing that pile driver. That was Terry Funk's. Nobody was doing that figure four leg lock, at least in, in WCW, you know? That was Claire's. Uh, yeah. You're right. W- Nobody was doing the slingshot suplex. Nobody was doing the stinger splash and the scorpion death lock. So, it was shit was sacred back then. And now... Granted, there's a ton more guys, and you know it's funny because the the one move I just was telling Travis and, and our buddy Matt, anybody does it other than a, a Randy Orton, it's the cutter and not the RKO. Mm-hmm. Right? Randy Orton does it, RKO out of nowhere. Everybody else does a version of it. It's a cutter, the MK5, whatever the hell they're called, the uh, MSK. And and and, the, and don't forget the super kick is everybody oh. uses the super oh. kick. Everybody uses the Canadian Destroyer. So, you know, it's just part of the the move. You see it on the opening match, Animal you'll see it in the main event. Panama mm. Sunrise, whatever. Yeah, so. There's but, even girls that do it. There's a guy that does it and then a girl that does it in the same promotion. But it's just, it's just, it's it's sad that all that stuff. The DDT used to be it. Now everyone does a DDT. DDT went from the, the damn devastating technique to a setup move. And same with the super kick and... You know the spear and all these things, and but back then, you know, just, you know what, TW, that should be a shirt for the PWR podcast. What here, at the PWR podcast, something is sacred in wrestling here. That's right. that's the thing. You know, nothing's sacred anymore. I don't know. We gotta we gotta talk about trademark. We gotta talk about IPs for the shirt. Something <laughs> we need something that says sacred in the shirt. So you know, if any reflection has any ideas for a PWR T-shirt with Old the word school, sacred. Back- Back when shit was sacred. There you go. Old school when shit was sacred. So with that being said, we close this greatest rivalries edition of the PWR podcast here at the PWSO Networks at Podbeam.com. And you know what? What are we gonna do in the next couple of weeks? We don't know. You know what? We're gonna we might do rivalries. We might do spotlights. We might do movies. We might do an episode of Raw or Nitro or Superstars or Wrestling Challenge or AWA. Or WCCW. So or where's JB? Or whatever. Well, where's JB? That's going to be the next spinoff show here at the PWSO Networks at PowerBeam.com. That's going to be the next show. Where's JB? Where in the world is Prodigals? Well, if anybody knows that song. so But you get a cookie if you know that song. But anyway, TW, give out those social media addresses so we can get out of here. Uh, our show on Twitch is at PW Reflection. Uh, then you have our good man Big Ray is at Big Ray Hernandez. I'm at Tommy Wonder 19 or at the Tommy Wonder. Uh, Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder. Uh, Instagram is also Tommy Wonder 19. Uh, our good man JB previously mentioned is at the P1JB. Uh, my YouTube channel is Dumb Dumb Duo and an Idiot. We almost did the fish video last night, but we had to postpone it a little bit longer because of the other obligations. Uh, but Dumb Dumb Duo and an Idiot on YouTube. And then Big Vito Brand makes this all possible for us on the Twitch. 
bigvetobrand.wixsite.com, W-I-X-S-I-T-E, and also patreon.com backslash thebigvetobrand. And, of course, I'm on the Twitters at PWSOPROF. That's PWSOPROF. And, of course, my guys from the PWSOLORE, Mr. Infinite Fringe himself, Billy Ray Valentine at Obi-Wan, you know me. And, of course, the king of the reactions, A-Track Brown, the dirtiest of the city at 8-Track Dastardly. And, again, I love doing the boardrooms, Reflection Ice. I just love shooting the shit. We don't need to talk about what Flair did hold for hold. We don't need to talk about what... Funk did hold for hold because then that would bore everybody. That would even bore the professor. So I like shooting the shit, drinking some beers, eating some sandwiches, maybe some White Castles, and being in the boardroom with my man TW here. So what are we going to do next week? I don't know, Reflection Ice. I will keep you on your toes. And with that being said, maybe I'll let, I'll let TW pick the show for next week. But anyway, stay tuned, Reflection Ice. Stay tuned. And for that... I'm the professor, that's Mr. Wonderful, that's the Iron Stomach, that's the conservative liberal Tommy Wonder saying goodnight, and we will see you next time here at the PWSL Networks at Podbeam.com. See you next time, Reflectionites.